strategy looks like a lot of research put into a deck that says, we're going to accomplish this by the year end. Those are great. Those have a place. But uh, I and a lot of other folks would argue that it's not necessarily strategy because in doing those pieces of work, you haven't decided what the problem is in the first place. When we think about strategy, we are very concerned with, are we solving the right problem in the first place? And design consultancies will go into this almost ad nauseum because we're convinced that unless you're solving the right problem, none of the rest of the work is going to be as meaningful. Welcome back, everybody. I am with the one and only Tyler Hilker today. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Dan. How about yourself? I am doing quite well as well, if that makes any sense. Oh. Yeah. No, doing great. I'm glad to hear it. It's good to be talking to you today. George is not here today. He is just gallivanting all over the mountainous area yes, of does. the United States. That's right. He's on an amazing vacation. I'm sure we'll hear all about it when he gets back. But today we're going to highlight and explore a really interesting topic, that of a design consultancy, which sounds Ooh. really consultancy. It sounds That's fancy is what it sounds like. It does. It does. Like consult fancy. I'm going to consult you on fancy. Anywho, what? and how a company, how a business and enterprise can know when they need a partner with a design consultancy. But before we dive in, Two things to you, Tyler. One, tell us a little bit about yourself, your role and what you do at CRIMA. And then also let's recognize here that the term design consultancy may be a little bit unfamiliar to our listeners. So I would love for you to kind of dive into what that means. So who are you, you know, from an existential standpoint, who, who are am you, Tyler? I? <laughs> and then tell us a little bit about design consultancies and how we see them and how they interact. Cool. Yeah, I am Crema's VP of strategy, and I've been here for about five years and mostly in a strategy or product strategy capacity. And in a previous life, I was a designer, mostly a UX designer, dabbling in other areas of design, like service design or visual design. And, and, and I also have a history of strategy. So doing, making decisions with data and helping devise plans based on that to move forward. And my role here at Chrome as a VP mm. of strategy is largely leading our strategy practice and competency. So practice being the folks that are committed and dedicated to doing strategy type work, mm -hmm. but also building up this broader strategy competency for really everybody at Chrome. What does it mean for us in every capacity to think more strategically, more strategically about the work that we do every day. And that doesn't always mean this highfalutin strategy, 800 page deck strategy. It's just more about thinking about with the end in mind, making the most of the resources we have. Awesome. So you mentioned strategy, not being necessarily an 800 page, you know, plan or PowerPoint deck. So how do we think about strategy or how, yeah, what's, What's the difference in, I guess, maybe just bridging into a design consultancy to a certain extent? What is the, how does strategy intersect in, into the topic or I guess the fact of companies being a design consultancy? Great question. Some of the similarities would be that we, we all do research. We all 
do the work to figure out what's going on in whatever situation we're called into. And that can look like stakeholder interviews. It can look like on the ground, frontline employee research. It can look like inter interviewing actual users or buyers of the product. And it, and it could even go further beyond that where you're looking at not just markets, but in interviewing potential customers of a new idea that, that the organization has. So everybody's doing mm -hmm. research. And then everybody does some sort of analysis for what to do with any of that. And depending on the consultancy and where they like to play, we'll say, you're going to get a range of answers that will say, this is what your situation looks like. This is what a set of best practices looks like. You need to do this, this, and this in order to get in line with those best practices for a company like you or companies in your industry or something like that. And then you also right. might have an, a firm that will come into your organization and say, here are the best practices, but also here's some new opportunities that you might want to explore, whether it's a new market or something like that. And they might give you some metrics to hit new goals. They might give you some optimization organization type plans, but they're, they're still largely analytical. They're largely process driven and a design consultancy does those things in certain ways. And they'll say, those are great. Those have a place, but also design consultancies honestly tend to be a bit more adventurous or creative in hmm. the way that they gather data and the way that they translate that data into options. And, and so I, I don't want to use the word innovation because that means so many things to different right. organizations and right. people, <laughs> but a design consultancy typically is known for different lenses that they'll bring to a project where, whether it's looking at it from not just the user's perspective, but all of the people impacted by this particular product. So if you have a, a lot of our products tend to be in-house operations or B2B type stuff. And so it's easy for us to say, who's going to be using this product? And we neglect the people that they're actually using this product on behalf of or for. So if somebody needs to use our tool to generate a report for somebody else, for the board or the, the C-suite, but we haven't considered what the C-suite or the board need, well, then we've probably mm -hmm. missed a couple opportunities in the design of our work. And so they're looking at it from the, from a very human pers human centered perspective. And then we'll look at the business, of course, like these other two options that I discussed, we'll look at business processes. We'll look at just operational type stuff, but we'll also mm -hmm. go into the, into the, like, look at it from a cultural perspective, not just what are they doing and what is written out in the manual of how to operate within this company, but what are the unwritten rules? that we just don't speak about, or that's how business gets done around here. And this is why we chose this. Nobody said, don't do these other things. It's just, we haven't really been given the opportunity to do those things. So what is the business within the culture that is maintaining those processes for better or worse? And then we'll also look mm -hmm. at the business from an external perspective, looking at the landscape and not just the immediate competitors, the direct competitors, but who are the indirect or the peripheral competitors? Who are the is existing alternatives. Because again, a lot of the projects that we've built, some of them start out as improvements on spreadsheets right. where a company is right. managing inventory or they're managing talent or they're managing scheduling or whatever that is just in a spreadsheet. And that's just becomes untenable at some point. And so how do mm -hmm. we look at what people are, how people are already accomplishing these goals and come up with more 
creative, non-obvious, ambitious ways to solve those beyond just even software. Because sometimes it's, it's less than what we think it's going to be. And then lastly, we'll look at the technology, of course. And again, a lot of these other firms, management firms or innovation firms will say, what are you doing with AI? What are you doing with mm-hmm. uh, the cloud? Right. right. They'll look at everything through a technology lens, but they'll, they'll do so as if technology is the end in itself, not in context and in a system with the, the culture of the business, these people or these organizations outside this business that we're either partnering with or competing against. And then the people, why are, why are, what are the people going to do with this technology anyway? And so given all that design consultancies tend to look at, I don't, I hesitate to, to say more holistic, but, but I think a broader set of lenses to a given problem. And so, and, and so it said, not everybody needs a design consultancy. Not every problem needs a design consultancy. So it's just a matter of fit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would not say that what I heard was design consultancy does a lot more than other consultancies or, you know, maybe they're not necessarily that a design consultancy is better than any other type of consultancy. What I heard is just a different way of looking at things, a different way of looking at problems. Hence the word design. And I think sometimes even me in the past, the word design can throw people off to where Mm -hmm. it's almost like through your consultancy, you're going to be designing for me. You know, you're going to be producing a creative piece for me, or it's about arts. It's about creating some level of creative good. Even I remember one time years ago, I I gave, gosh, maybe 10 years ago now, I was, I gave a, 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 I guess a webinar, some level of a presentation on what design thinking is and really happened to set up the expectation that design thinking does not mean or the word design there does not mean associated to art, some sort of artistic expression, but it's a way of thinking. It's a way of viewing the world. So a way of framing a problem in a way that a designer might be, you know, first principles or, you know, diverge and then converge on what might be the best way to, to solve it. And even in the years past, you know, design thinking, and then there's design sprints. And so just that word design bringing into the aspect of consultancy, it's just a different way of looking at, like you said, holistically, a problem or helping someone think well about, you know, maybe the potential problems they want to solve. So in there, I mean, I heard strategy within this, there's team design, there's storytelling. So let's kind of break down maybe as we want to talk about this topic about what a design consultancy is, but also then how, how, or when would a company, how would they know that they need to work with, or that working with the design consultancy would be a good idea? Let's start with the first theme, and you kind of hinted on this, but I'd love for you to unpack it maybe just a little bit more, is around strategy. So share your insights on how design consultancies can assist in figuring out, I guess, how we look at strategy, which is what's going on and what they ought to do about it. Yeah, yeah. So strategy is, again, like I said, oftentimes it looks like a lot of research put into a deck that says, we're going to accomplish this by the year end. We're going to move into this market and we're going to implement this technology. And those are, those are great. Those have a place, but uh, I and a lot of other folks would argue that it's not necessarily strategy because in, in doing those pieces of work, you haven't decided what, what the problem is in the first place. It's often implicit or just assumed that there's a problem and that we're going to tackle it by doing these things. And, and usually in our experience, those assumptions are off a a matter of degrees. 
And if you go too far, even if you're just off by a couple degrees, we know that if you go six months down the road, you're going to be way off of where your target is going to hit, where your target was in the first place. And so when we, when we think about strategy, we are very concerned with, are we solving the right problem in the first place? And design consultancies will, will go into this almost ad nauseum because we're, we're convinced that unless you're solving the right problem, none of the rest of the work is going to be as meaningful. It's not, not that it's bad. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just kind of like, well, we did that. And, and this is why we know at least part of why a lot of digital transformations fail is because not just digital transformations, but large scale software or digital or cultural initiatives fail is because they didn't understand the people leading it didn't understand the problems in the first place. And, mm-hmm. and so quick, design consultancy. Design, think, yeah, go ahead. Just to interject right there, Tyler, I think that's super important. And what we talk about a lot, and I think what we've learned through trial and error as well, is really needing to solve the right problem. Because if you start any sort of big initiative, you know, there's a lot of time and effort that are put into those. And it's the difference between efficiency and effectiveness there. And I love the story of, you know, there was you know, an appraiser for an insurance company. He goes, I'm going to go out and I'm going to appraise this faster than anybody has. He, he, he goes out there, he appraises the damage to the roof or whatever, comes back and they're like, yep, you absolutely did. You beat the record. However, it was at the wrong house. So a lot of time, a lot of effort. You don't want to be the individual. You don't want to be the company that puts all that time, all that effort. Sure, maybe you're efficient. You put together a great strategic plan. You have a lot of great objectives, OKRs, whatever lingo you know, a company is using, but unless it's geared towards the right problem, like you said, which a lot of times we talk about ad nauseum, but it's important. You know, you talk a lot about the things that are important to yeah. you. And so what's important to us or design consultancy is the idea of, yeah, let's go out and create an amazing solution, but only to the right problem. Yeah. And, and that's a defining characteristic of a design consultancy. I would say is we, we know that we have these symptoms of a problem and we're feeling this pain in these ways. We don't know exactly what we need in order to fix this. We think we might know we have some ideas, but we're not committed to a particular solution. And Mm. design consultancies are really good at navigating that messy space of trying to figure out what the actual problem is. A lot of the early design thinking work was around solving wicked problems. So those problems that are not just ambiguous and difficult, but just don't seem to have a beginning or an end and then trying to mm-hmm. make your way through that to get to get to maybe a set of diagnoses where it's not just one problem it's these three problems and then which one do you attack first and in creative or not, not ambitious but maybe adventurous ways yeah one way to know that you might be looking for a design consultancy is to is to think about your appetite for risk or change or creativity? How convinced are you that the problem you think you have is the problem that you actually have? Because the mm-hmm. best design consultancies, consultancies will challenge that, not because you're wrong, but, but just because they bring a different perspective on the world and they can mm-hmm. help you see things a bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. They have a different approach. And again, you know, using the, the, you know, the term design thinking, it's not linear. It's a very iterative approach. It's very experimental, yeah. you know, using 
it's how they work through understanding users, challenging assumptions, redefining problems, and then kind of, and then getting to those innovative solutions through a prototype and test methodology. Obviously very, very much used from a physical product design, digital product design, mm -hmm. but even bringing it into a way of solving problems, just that non-linear thinking. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so IDEO has a famous design thinking mm -hmm. model. There are other companies that have their own design thinking models. And, and what we're talking about in terms of design consultancies is not just that. That's usually a starting point. And, and most agencies like us have their own methodology or their own approach for how to weave in all these design thinking and design toolbox type methods. And, all, and not just that, but like the classic, just doing research and experimentation, that kind of thing. And so when Karma thinks about strategy, our, our loop, if you will, begins with focus. And so that's deciding on the right problem to solve. Then we'll go down into a discovery mode, which is very classically research where we're interviewing and mapping and doing all that. And then we'll go into ideation, which is super common. And that's where, again, design consultancies will tend to have a bigger ideation loop where instead of just mm. working within a set of best practices or readily available options, they will, they will make or invite certain leaps in the imagination to say, what if we did this? What needs to be true for that to work? Or similar questions and options that challenge the status quo and what we have now. So we can say, oh, we can do that. And in order to do that, we need to make these other changes rather than just saying, uh, we're just going to go ahead and do that thing that we think we already know how to do. And so that's where that sense of adventure comes in. And then once we get some feedback on those and say, all right, that's, these sound good. We'll make some, some level of a prototype. And that prototype allows us to get richer feedback than the interviews or surveys or whatever we've done in the, in the past, in the discovery mm -hmm. and ideation sessions. And in some, in some ways it's a, it's a fractal process where that can happen. That whole loop can happen just with, at a very small level within the focus area, the focus type of work or d discovery. We will oftentimes in the discovery work, a prototype might look like drawing something on a piece of paper and drawing a se sequence of events, almost like a, a storyboard and say, is, mm -hmm. is this kind of what you mean? Will that, will that help? Or it often will look like, and this is some of my favorite work to do where we're interviewing one or two frontline employees, we'll say, and they'll give some feedback to the questions and then We'll just try it out right on the, either on the whiteboard or we'll use a cardboard box or something like that to say, is this what you mean? Or is this what you mean? Draw for me what you mean. Let's make this thing together and help and use that super lightweight prototype to better understand their story, where they're coming from and how we can yeah. address it all more effectively. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you mentioned story there. So that's a great segue into as you ask no, you yourself like a question. I know you're a master of segues is, you know, a lot of times what we might hear from individuals is when they're thinking like how, when should I work with a consultancy or design consultancy specifically is how do I tell a really good story to those that I need to get mutual buy-in or alignment with so that I can sell this idea within the organization so that we can move forward. So again, one thing we tend to hear a lot is that they need help telling a good story, the right story. 
yes, they need to tell a compelling story to their customers. No one's arguing that. And that's definitely something to keep your eye on, but it doesn't end there. They need help creating the good story for other stakeholders within the business. So Tyler, tell us, walk us through a little bit about, you know, that type of incident or that process and, and how that plays out. Yeah. So it plays out in a couple different ways. One where our clients are needing to get more investment in order to do this particular initiative. And we'll paint the story on a couple different levels. One on the story of the team actually building this thing to say they were charged with this kind of outcome or this, this feature, and they weren't able to do that because of this, this, and this. And that's oftentimes where we get into organizational dynamics, whether it's budgeting or team roles or assignments or whatever that is. But then there's also the story of a user or a set of users where, where we'll go out and we'll talk with someone and say, and we will ask not necessarily questions about the product, but about their life and how they, their life around the product or service that we're working with. And so it's not just a, do you like this feature? Tell me about the features of our product you use, but it's more about, tell me how you, how you like your job. What do you like about your job? Yeah. What do you not like about it? What do you, how do you think you could serve the people more effectively that you're trying to work with? Those kinds of questions, because those can help us layer in insights into the, the kinds of decisions that we're trying to make. And then that can, being able to tell those, those two levels of story, the user and the product team, we can take that to whether it's a C-suite, whether it's an outside investor, anybody who, who needs more and richer context about why we're trying to make these changes. And then it often clicks, oh, that's why you were asking for that. I didn't understand it was because of these reasons. Or I didn't, I didn't hear it when you said it like this, but now that I hear it in these users' words, there's that. And then there's also the work of us creating some composite stories. Another one of my favorite areas of work here is in user journeys or service blueprints where we'll catalog a, a longitudinal longitudinal journey of a set of customers and say, this is how they went through this whole experience. And now where are the gaps? Because despite our best efforts as, as teams and organizations, there's almost always still gaps that we can fill in in an experience. And we just don't see those gaps because we're on one side of it. And we say, everything's everything is organized and should be working perfectly together from our perspective. And then we have to get outside of the building and see, oh, actually it breaks really badly in this one area and we need to fix that. And so that can be a story that as we built out these user journeys or service blueprints, we can tell that story internally, not just, mm-hmm. not just to hire up to get more investment and buy-in, but around each other to say, this, this was the actual problem. The feature, it wasn't that they weren't lacking a feature. It was they were lacking a way to do X. And so mm-hmm. is there a range of ways we could develop that feature or get rid of other features that were causing that problem, that kind of thing. And so... And it all comes down to humans being, humans are wired with story, wired to understand mm. life in terms of a story. And how do we use that? Not as a manipulation device by any means, although sometimes right. it is that, but how do we use story to help more clearly communicate things that data and charts and verbal presentations just can't because we, we're, we're not always wired in the same way. We still need those things but that's not the best way to understand the whole nature of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 
Yeah, camping around that just a, mi- a moment. I think that's really important is that telling stories internally, not to manipulate, but to help reframe maybe familiar narratives, help reframe it in a way that sheds new light. It's kind of like, I don't know, a couple analogies. So, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with an analogy here. I'm just going to play it out. Do it. It's kind of like... <laughs> It's kind of like when, if I'm maybe if I'm at home and I'm having this discussion with Lisa, a lot of times I struggle getting out the right words of maybe my perspective on a situation or my opinion or my feelings on a situation. I am the one that's deeply feeling that, whatever those feelings are, whatever those are. I am one with that perspective. I'm one with that opinion, but I'm having a really hard time getting it out in the words I want. And so you could ask Lisa, I routinely say, can you help me understand what I'm trying to say? Or can you help me maybe say it in a better way? Mm -hmm. And because she has that outside perspective or she, Mm -hmm. and she knows me well, she has, she can reframe it say it in a way, and I don't know how many times I can say, yes, that's exactly what I feel or exactly what I'm trying to say. And it's it's not just there, it's at work too. It's like, can you, I'm having a hard time getting the words out or I'm having a hard time describing. I know exactly what I would want to do from an action standpoint, but communicating it in a way, sometimes you just need a ghost writer. That was kind of the other analogy. You know, you're writing oh, a good. book yeah. or, you know, it's like, I can, if you want my biography, that's fine. You can write it. I have all these stories, but you wouldn't want my words on paper because it's not going to sell. Yeah. But yeah. someone else may have the kind of the formulaic, the different parts of what makes a good story in a good way, put it down on paper and then it can sell still your perspective and your personal, yeah, your context, but someone else was able to come beside. And I think that is what we hear a lot is that they need yeah. someone to come alongside, reframe it, pull things out. That's what was coming to mind as you were talking. Yeah. One of the, this is not new design consultancies, but one of the biggest reasons anybody calls an outside firm is just an outside perspective. Like one of our, at Prema, one of our biggest advantages is that we are not our clients. And it's because it's not because we're smarter or better or um, anything like that, but it's just, we're not them. And when, like in your story and talking through things, through things with Lisa, there are certain parts of that story or that narrative that you take for granted because you invented mm. them and that's, that's what you live. <laughs> right. With. And so right. Lisa yeah. in that two things that two parallels that come to mind are one, Lisa had your best interest at heart. And so she's not trying to lead you astray. She's trying to help you figure out what's next, but then also she has enough context about you and the world around you that you're trying to work through that she doesn't give you irrelevant suggestions. She doesn't Mm. say, Oh, why don't you go try this? And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? And so those two things are critical for you to, to have this conversation with Lisa and then feel like it was actually helpful and not just kind of verbal vomit, if you will. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. And again, storytelling or even that process, it builds cohesion. There's alignment, uh, better understanding. Yeah. So what delivers context? Yeah, go ahead. One one more thing that came to mind as as you were talking about is that stories, stories help us see where things don't quite make sense or they they help us ask those kinds of questions where at least it'd be like, why'd you do that? And you're like, I don't know. I was frustrated or I was confused or I didn't think about that. And so yeah. stories, you can see these stories play out and, 
and it's we'll often ask Man, customer user why did you do that 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 doesn't seem mm. intuitive based on what we know about what's presented and i've sat through a lot of design usability testing sessions where the customer was like well it just seemed like the most reasonable thing based on the design it's like well okay i can see that i can see that now that you have shared your perspective where it was different mm-hmm. than me you came in with different expectations and it took me stepping into the story of that person to see why this decision that seemed weird to me it just didn't make sense why it actually made perfectly reasonable sense to them okay so that brings up a really good point because even in the the analogy, at least is going to love being on a podcast. Actually, anyways, <laughs> but, hi Lisa. But just uh, hey, it kind of leads into the idea. Really, the third aspect that we get around is how can I find a trusted partner? How can I find someone to partner with me? How can I find someone to point out things I don't see? How can I, again, someone that yes, I will go to for this project, but I might go to for several others because I really value their input or they're just available there for me. So what benefits can businesses gain working with a design consultancy, particularly as a trusted third party? Yeah, that's a great question. There's all kinds of different places to start, both in the conversation and also with a design consultancy because a design consultancy is, like we said towards the beginning, more often more focused on how they think and the, the lenses through which they see various problems rather than a particular form of output. And so hmm. we've had clients with engage with us for half a day just to kind of sort through some things. It can be like half a day up to a couple months, maybe even longer, depending on the the size of the problem and how much things need to be worked through. Like one of one of our clients now it has nothing to do with software, at least not yet. And it's just an ongoing relationship of us guiding them through this really weird, unusual objective that they have. And it's, it's, it's very, very people-driven. And they as an organization, it's new for them too. And so how do we help be kind of like this technology advisor when it makes sense or this a research advisor, how to go about gathering, gathering a certain set of information, how to, how to think about the variety, variety of ways that we could work with this group of people, not just the most obvious initial way that the, the first thing that comes to mind. And so mm-hmm. in terms of being a trusted advisor, we, we've heard stories, we've had clients that worked with us or, or that worked with us and have previously worked with a consultancy of some sort. And they said, yeah, I, I didn't, they kind of fleeced me. Like they didn't, they didn't provide anything of value. They didn't, they didn't do anything that they said they would do. And as a design consultancy, one of the things that we want to strive to provide our clients is a consistent definition of success and why we're here and what really matters. Because usually what matters is not the implementation of a certain technology or process or program. What really matters is the results that you meet along the way to make sure that you can calibrate your way as you go. So it's it's not just, oh, we'll see in yeah. nine months. And this is true in uh, consulting work. It's true in design work. It's true in development work. You have to be calibrating all along the way to make sure that you're moving towards the target as expected. And, mm. and beyond that, some of the ways that we do that, we, we've been known 
by many clients as willing to challenge almost anything. Not because <laughs> the clients are wrong, but because we want to, I, I use the language of pressure testing. We want to pressure test these suggestions or concepts or ideas before we go all that much further. Because again, going back to where we start with strategy, focusing on the right question and the right problem, the right diagnosis. And we'll, we'll challenge questions, we'll challenge clients with their best interest at heart because we know it's a, they're making a huge investment in strategy, design, development, whatever that is. And we want that to pay off for them because ultimately that reflects on us, how well we, we help them through that. And so mm -hmm. we're known for challenging. And if, and if your design consultancy isn't challenging you or they don't like you challenging them, then that's, that's a significant problem. And there are consultancies, especially design oriented consultancies that will sometimes say, you know, this is trust us. This is our idea. We're going to make it work. Or you just don't understand client. Let us do what we want. And that is, the last thing that that a design consultancy should be because they are trying to in, after all influence the client and their environment for the better not just do their own thing if that makes sense yeah it totally does when you're talking about pressure testing and we'd like to challenge you know we're curious we'd like to challenge and we're not afraid to ask those questions that made me think have you seen the movie big with tom hanks oh yeah of course of course when he's in the he's in the boardroom, they're testing out the the new skyscraper toy, and he raises his hand over and over again and says, "I don't get it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it's like working with a design yeah. consultancy that may or may not have a specialty in a particular industry vertical, but has a process, has a philosophy, has the gumption to challenge in a good way to reframe problems, to ask questions that maybe people that are familiar with the industry wouldn't because. Either one, they know the answer, or two, they might think it's like, well, that's a dumb question. But to us, there's no dumb questions. Mm -hmm. And so we'll ask yeah. it. They may give an obvious answer, and then we may say, well, why? That doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. Explain it to yeah. me. And it just yeah. makes me think of that boardroom with Tom Hanks and jumping in as a trusted yeah. advisor. We don't have any sacred cows. You know, we don't have a dog in the fight. We don't have, we're not going to fall into an echo chamber. We are going in eyes wide open. And my, with an open mind, ready to be curious and challenge. And so it just made me think of that episode, which is a fantastic oh, episode. That might <laughs> need to be a new example that I use all the time because yeah. it's, it's exactly it. Because he doesn't have the relationships that those other people have that were holding yeah. them back from making certain decisions. Right. Certain decisions. And, and not that we're going to be reckless and say fire everybody or whatever, but we we have a similar or we have a different different stake and that is the success of the overall business or the project or whatever mm -hmm. and now how much we can affect those interpersonal dynamics is I don't know, it's usually minimal but it does mean we can say I, I see what you're getting at i see where you're going at but this is actually better for this reason or the diagnosis was this because of this this and this and yep. and so we can help push through some of those barriers that come naturally to almost any organization for the better. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Last one here that we hear often that really comes up quite a bit from just from a design consultancy perspective is the, the question of, is my team designed right? Do I have mm. the right skills? Yeah. Do I have the right capabilities? What capabilities do we need to add? And again, not around the topic of who do I need to get rid of, but more like who needs to be, who needs to come up on our team. And so when it comes to team design, team performance, what role can, 
can or does a design consultancy play in assessing and helping a business understand if they have the right team in the right positions? Yeah. So one of the reasons you might give a design consultancy call in the first place is because you recognize you don't have a certain capability or kind of role or perspective on your team. And so you call somebody like Crema to come provide that either long-term or short-term to get your team to the next level, whatever that means, whether it's process, whether it's a skill set, whether it's just actually doing this kind of work so that doing the, the kind of new work so that they can have new old work, if that makes sense. And so a lot of teams are, especially inside of enterprise organizations, are designed for like day-to-day optimization, building stuff out, knocking things out and getting stuff done and to invite them into, or to ask them, not just invite them, but say, hey, I need you to go be innovative. I need you to be creative. It's just this massive dissonance between mindsets. Some people love it and some people are in this more day-to-day work begging to be doing more new design thinking type work. But, but for a lot of people who are thriving in those day-to-day jobs, they just can't stand it and they don't want to do it. They, a lot of them see the value of it. Not all of them, but a lot of them see the value of it, but they're just like, I don't enjoy that. I love my job and doing what I, doing what I do. And so when we come in as a, as a design consultancy, we'll take, I'm going to back up. So if we get invited in as a design consultancy, we'll look at the team makeup and see what they need, need us to do. Sometimes it's a case of us advocating for the ideas they've already put forth. They've already done a lot of research and they just need help synthesizing that into really creative or adventurous, ambitious options because they just couldn't quite get there for whatever reason. Sometimes they've, they've done the good, they've done great research. They've got great options and we'll come in and look at us and say, this is, this is awesome. What's the hitch here? Why can't you get this forward? And they say, well, it's because this is this. And sometimes it goes back to those organizational issues that we talked about. Sometimes it's staffing or resourcing or vision or whatever that is. And we can help them shape a story around why that kind of work is meaningful. And we can be advocates for that work for the, that they've already done inside. But then also we can come alongside a team and say, you've got a bunch of really strong day-to-day type folks who love doing that work. And we can help you either in the short term, get them to the next level or in the long term, build a team of people who come alongside those day-to-day executors and pull them into the more adventurous or ambitious realm. Not always, not so that everybody's in workshops all day and nobody's getting anything done, but just how do you build a team that is more suited for an infinite game of playing to win rather than just getting to the next quarter's results, getting to the next feature, the next release, whatever that is. And so how do you, we can help because we've worked with gobs of teams in different industries, organizations, sizes, all that. We can say, Hey, it worked over here. It didn't, this didn't work over here. How can we help you define the the right mix of people on your team for what you need to accomplish? Yeah. I don't think you can state enough the importance of the people that are there with you. You mentioned meaningful work. You mentioned the infinite game that suggests, you know, mission, purpose, vision, mm-hmm. strategy. And again, those are only as good as the people that are there that believe in it. 
that mm-hmm. are inspired by it and that can execute on it. And it's no surprise to anyone that at People of Product, I mean, it's in our name, the People of Product, that team and people, culture, skills, capabilities is probably our number one topic that we've discussed. And for good reason. Yeah. Team and people cannot be absent from discussions of designing a killer strategy or helping Mm -hmm. companies create the best solution to the right problem to solve. It's all about people Mm -hmm. and the people that are helping create it, the strategy itself, but also the people that are executing. So yeah, Yeah, you can't separate it. So you're my one, one other scenario that has come up occasionally is where the, the team is trying to do this really interesting forward thinking work and the leader is either not seeing it or they're handcuffed by their leadership or whatever that is. And we can come in and uh, give the leader a new perspective. So it's not just we come in on behalf of the leader and tell the team what to do. We'll help the leader see the capabilities and competencies and strengths of the people on that team and around them and say, you're actually not using, you're not engaging this team fully. You're not using their talents in the way that you could. And if you did that, you might be able to get these kinds of results deliver on these expectations. And then it's, it's just this latent pool of talent that the leader hasn't tapped into. And so we can help them see that and, and unlock it for the long term. So, because we want those people to be satisfied and making the most of their time Mm. there as well. Yeah. Well, Tyler, I really appreciate you coming by today and helping us actually see how complex today's business landscape is and the importance a lot of, to yeah, there is. And being able to walk alongside a design consultancy or them really more them walking alongside you, you know, through helping them design strategy, telling that, working with you to tell that story, really being that trusted advisor, working with your team, all of that is really going to help people get from where they are now to where they want to be. And so really appreciate you coming by, helping us talk Absolutely. about this work. It's important to us. We love this work. It's meaningful to us. I know it's meaningful to you. And again, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having the conversation. You know, I love to nerd out on this stuff, Dan, anytime. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.